0: You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, we live. We live. We live. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Locked On Hornets. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get $10 off of your next order. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day, local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. And you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your pods, and follow us on Twitter at WalkerMail. At Not of the Scribe, and again at Locked On Hornets for the show. We actually have Hornets basketball this week, not against any opponent, not any uh, against any other franchise, but the Hornets are actually given an opportunity, along with the other teams that were on the outside, looking in the Orlando bubble, to have a two-week period of five-on-five activity coming together as a team, and that starts today for the Charlotte Hornets. And Nada, it's the first time that they have been together as a unit since really March 11th, and it's the first time James Borrego has gotten to see all of his guys together since March 11th. We're talking about really six months um, before uh, they've really been able to be a cohesive group once again. What do you make of the two-week time period that the Hornets are going to have to work together along with the other Delete A teams?
0: it slows down the development curve or basically how 22 teams were essentially very, very ahead of the other eight delete eight teams. The delete eight teams have a, basically a chance to catch up and it won't be much, but it's important because now you get expectations for when the season actually happens, what these new roles are going to be. I think new roles are going to be discussed. We're going to see if they're going to see an attempt. If, P.J. Washington and Miles Bridges can play on the floor together. It's doubtful, but you're going to see some things. Malik Monk is probably going to have his role clarified on this team going into next season. Um, Devontae Graham, new role, what are we going to expect? Terry Rozier, all these guys are basically going to be able to practice and work against each other and working against each other in a safe environment and build camaraderie towards next year. This was already a tight-knit group. This group gets even tighter, and who knows? Maybe some more development comes out of this. I, I kind of like this because at least it gives team these eight teams a chance to compete going into next season whenever next season does happen.
1: You know, this is, this is just two weeks, and it's hard to put in, at least for me, a ton of merit into just a two-week time period that the Hornets are going to be able to come together and put in a whole bunch of different stuff, and it's going to benefit greatly in the long run. I'm with you that I would rather have this team um, getting some time before the season actually starts, because you are right, it does allow them to catch up at least a little bit. I think there is an emphasis on the little bit, but it at least does allow them some time to work together. And James Borrego was asked a lot about this, and our buddy Sam perley wrote about the two-week time period they have together on Hornets.com. And just reading Sam perley's piece on this... James Brego's comments all over the board are how excited he is just to have the team together, not necessarily installing any new schemes or installing anything new whatsoever. Just he was discussing how important it is for them to be together off of the court rather than on the court. And I feel like sometimes that's used more as a cliche. I don't know how much stock I put into that. Nearly as much. I mm-hmm. do think that it matters. I, I buy into you know that regard a little bit. Sometimes it's overused, but I do think it does matter to this Hornets team. That is, it seems like a pretty close knit group. Like we've seen them actually play together, maybe against um, the advice of the NBA. But we have seen them play on the court together a couple of times already. This uh, pandemic period where the Hornets weren't able to come together as a group. Um, it, It goes to something that we constantly hear Jeff Van Gundy, I think, talk about on these broadcasts where he doesn't seem to care if guys are close knit together on the team or, you know, if you have this certain chemistry off of the court, you don't even have to really like each other. That chemistry on the court is different than liking each other and having chemistry off of the court. Jeff Van Gundy doesn't even subscribe to that. James Borrego really seems to hone in on that. And Greg Popovich does too, Nada. Like we know about the Popovich stories where he's constantly bringing guys out and having team dinners. They're all drinking wine together. He does find the camaraderie off of the court really important. And so, of course, you're going to gravitate more towards the Greg Popovich way of thinking. But it seems like this is what this two-week period is going to do for the Hornets more so than just you know, working on new things um, that are going to be on the court scheme wise going into next season. It's just nice to have everybody together again. And maybe you kind of, you know, roll your eyes at that. I don't know, but it's something that I buy into a little bit more than maybe some other minds out there.
0: Well, here, the thing is with the Charlotte Hornets, you do have a history of things like this bonding teammates. I mean, everybody remembers the 48 win season in 2016. And how those Hornets talked about how vital that China trip was and being, again, having that bunker mentality. And again, all respect due to Jeff Van Gundy. He's never coached in a small market. Again, Houston was the smallest market he's ever coached in quite honestly. And that matters. So when you talk about a small market franchise, small market ideals, I'm going to lean towards the San Antonio's in terms of those small market ideas that, turn out to be very, very sustainable. So if it works for smaller market teams, yo, I'm here for it. One thing that's kind of surprises me because I was just flipping through the Instagram of the Charlotte Hornets. There's one guy already in that Charlotte bubble that I'm surprised is actually there. That'd be Dwayne Bacon, Walker. <laughs> Dwayne Bacon is a part of this Charlotte bubble. And I, I, again, personally, I am stunned because I would have thought after all the please free me comments and everything else like that, that he would go and find up, find his own like free agency bubble or something else like that, but no, he's in the Charlotte bubble with James Bragel. So imagine how awkward that's going to be over the next two weeks.
1: It is kind of funny because you know we it was Dwayne Bacon giving you those comments, and I'm not surprised that he's at the bubble. But you're right to bring up the kind of awkwardness and just trying to find a role for someone that I don't expect to be on the team once again. Um, especially just with the way that Dwayne Bacon was talking about this. And even Mm -hmm. at the end of the season, when Dwayne Bacon was called back up from Greensboro and he was on the roster again, Borrego discussed that he's there simply for an emergency situation. I mean, even when he got called up again, it wasn't somebody that was getting significant run. It was McDaniels and Caleb Martin that was getting more run than what Dwayne Bacon was after the serious role we thought he was going to have at the beginning of the season. And I wonder what other teams... Um, are doing in that regard too. Like I I can't think of any examples on the top of my head, but how many other teams delete eight teams know that they're probably not going to bring a guy back or there's a really good possibility. And yet here you have these two weeks you know, where it's like, all right, Dwayne, um, I guess get some shots up. Like, we don't really play on
0: this <laughs> exactly. Game. You Exactly.
1: Know, if you just want to, we'll do the individual drills and uh, you know, you can certainly work on your game. But when we run this five on five, yeah, you're going to be the 11th guy we call on when somebody needs a rest. Like, is that going to happen? I'm not sure. So it's a good point to bring up here yeah, look, um, as we discuss this two week period.
0: Look at it like this, Walker. Imagine that you're getting divorced. And this actually happened to me. So I can't I can, I can say. Like you're getting divorced, but yet you're forced to quarantine with somebody for two weeks before the divorce is official. There's going to be a whole lot of, you can't tell me, you know what before in that two weeks, like, There's going to be a whole lot of furniture moving, a whole lot of arguing. Like, again, Dwayne, I'm not sure I would have done this, homeboy.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's not like you're not going to get some shots up. And the thing about it is, too, though, at least there's not going to be the awkwardness, I would imagine, between the players because Dwayne is their guy. I mean, Dwayne Bacon was a part of that crew that was playing basketball over the summer, at least, that we've seen on Um, on social media and Dwayne has a rap album with Miles Bridges
0: (laughs) out there. Yeah, exactly. But here's the thing. Like, that's the thing though, Walker, you're talking about him and the players are close knit. That may be true. Him and the coaching staff, totally (laughs) different scenario.
1: Well, especially with Dwayne kind of talking about, I want somebody to believe in me again, like somebody that has authority. I want someone with with authority to believe in me and continue to give me a chance. And we've already done the Dwayne Bacon discussion quite a bit. But this just makes it even
0: funnier. It does. It
1: (laughs) does. It does. All right. Let's talk about how the Hornets could be affected by the NBA draft. We've talked a lot about not wanting to draft a big man. Exactly. What kind of big man would you draft if you did have to take someone with that kind of size? A couple of articles I want to discuss about the Golden State Warriors and the big guys in the draft next on the Locked on Hornets podcast.
0: This is Locked on Hornets. I'm, I'm a little, I listen, hold on. I, now
1: see, uh, th- I, we couldn't just blow by that well, one. You had because
0: this, this is what frustrates me. You know, I'm uh. under the weather. You know, I'm not at hundred percent right now. And you're, you're just taking it to me. You're like one of these people that knew Nick Bat- Batum had a hand injury and they were just slapping his hand. Cause it's like, we're going to get, we're going to knock this guy's hand because we know he's injured. And that's what you're doing to me right now. But I just want to say, Sam, if you're listening, you're more than a numbers guy. You have heart, you have soul, you have agency, you are a person. Love you, Sam. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast.
1: All right, Nada, we've talked about this quite a bit. Mm -hmm. We already know your stance on James Wiseman. We know about your Mm -hmm. stance on Inyeka Kung Wu. Mm -hmm. Wings when rings has been uttered on this pod so many times I've lost count. Um, There is an article about drafting a big guy and it's written by Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer and it goes in line with something we've been discussing quite a bit because two big guys, especially one with James Wiseman, they're they're in real play here. I mean, even a Okungwu is in real play, but James Wiseman is the one I think is most discussed. And we just saw yesterday a playoff game, a very, very important playoff game get decided by two big guys just run in blank. I mean, mm-hmm. Nikola Jokic and Anthony Davis, I believe they accounted for the last 22 points scored in a game that featured LeBron James. Yeah. Um, that's insane. And Anthony Davis is this versatile unicorn that was drafted number one overall. And we knew what it was going to be with him. And on the flip side, Nikola Jokic is not a unicorn by any stretch but has oh no no vision. no no no
0: no I disagree. He's he is not a unicorn. a unicorn
1: defensively. When okay. we're talking about unicorns, we talk about the seven the, the seven feet seven foot guys that you know can defend a ton of different positions that are crazy athletic. That's what I talk about. He's a unicorn in the sense that he is a better passer than I mean maybe everybody in the NBA. Um, he's he's as good a passer as there is. I, I think Rick tweeted out about Kimba saying that Nikola is not the greatest passer in the NBA is for a big guy. He's the greatest passer in the NBA, period. So, you know, he brings you that. Nikola Jokic can knock down the open three. He He can shoot extremely well. We know the kind of effect he has on a game. Watching these two guys go back and forth, Nada, does it make you question the kind of, Maybe the the kind of confidence you would have in drafting a big guy and what, from Kevin O'Connor's article, did you think was noteworthy to discuss today?
0: Uh, Quite honestly, I think it just shows you that we don't know how to draft. Again, we don't know the, like, no one knows how to draft bigs for 2020 and forward. Because Kevin O'Connor points out that, again, yes, Anthony Davis was drafted first, and then you have Jokic drafted 41st, but you got Draymond Green picked 35th. Rudy Gobert went 27th. And again, he's got flaws, but even then. Giannis, who really kind of doesn't count, went 15. Bam went 14th. DeMontis Sabonis went 11th. All the quote-unquote undesirable skills that teams have kind of, again, that people see as one-way guys. Like, when we start talking about these one-way bigs, like, I think we kind of miss the forest from the trees when we talk about drafting these guys. So... Again, what are some of the common goals? What are like some of the common traits? I'd love to look at some of the common traits because you start talking about like Draymond. Draymond brought defense and moving the ball. Rudy Gobert, defense and occasionally some decent post scoring. Giannis, enough said. Bam, moves the ball off again, offensively gifted, but can switch one through five. Sabonis almost does the same thing. It was almost like, again, I would call him at a bio light and he's not going to get played off the floor. So when we start talking about these different ideas of what a big should be, we also have to hit home on the, on the point that if you're going to draft a big in 2020 and going forward, they have to be able to do more than just score or potentially just score. Yeah. One way bigs do not get you very, very far in this league. See Carl Anthony Towns.
1: I mean, yeah, that's... Well, I don't know about that, man. I, yeah, we'll see about Carl Anthony Towns. But I, I get your larger point. I mean, Anthony Davis is someone you can run your offense through. And he's been somebody that you've been able to run your offense through ever since he stepped on an NBA court. Nikola Jokic, despite him being a second rounder, really blossomed pretty immediately and was someone you could run your offense through. And he brings, even with his lack of defensive versatility... It's someone that is just so special at passing the ball and being able to shoot from the outside. It's crazy hard to defend him, even with you know some of these taller guys like a Rudy Gobert. And I think when you're talking about the ceiling that scares you drafting these big guys, it's the Rudy Gobert that you're most concerned with because he doesn't have the defensive versatility on the perimeter, and it's not someone that you're running your offense through. You know, there are the analytics guys out there that would argue that he's a very good offensive player, and I'm not here to necessarily disagree with that, but you're not throwing it in there to Rudy Gobert and necessarily saying, hey, go get me a bucket. Nicola can go get you a bucket, and he can give you a sick assist. Anthony Davis can go get you a bucket. Bam bio, you can run your offense through him differently. He's not going to give you a bucket, but my God, he's become such a good passer where he's a capable decision maker with the ball in his hands rather than just you know throwing it back out for three with a guy repositioned. Like, Bam Adebayo can put it on the floor a little bit and he can, you know, has become one of the best passing big men in the league um, in, in all the association, if, even if it's not Jokic's level. Like, there are yes. clearly special traits that can be so special, you have to select them and they make a big difference. But also to me, Nada, I think one of the bigger things that allows me to select these big guys it's the ability to shoot the three and its defensive versatility Can you bring me both of those things? And if you can, then that's a trait that I'll absolutely have zero problem um, selecting you with. And even with someone like Bam Adebayo, who isn't shooting the three yet, I've seen him make a couple of really impressive jump shots already as time was expiring. I think there's been two instances now where Bam, the offense kind of just got flustered and Bam Mm -hmm. had to take a shot and he made jump shots in critical moments um, as the shot clock was winding down and you have to worry about his passing. And it's one of the guy is, is you know, guarding point guards at an extremely high level. And so when you want to apply that to this year's NBA draft, who can we compare to some of the big guys that we just mentioned with Anyeka Kung and James Wiseman really being you know, some of those players that we're talking about? A Wu scares me because I don't see him having the passing ability and I don't see him... The offensive from- game, yeah. Yeah. So the offensive game, you're right. Just to kind of put it simpler. I don't see him shooting the threes. I don't see him having that kind of passing ability. So his ceiling to me is somewhat limited unless he has this huge renaissance that Bam did where, you know, nobody saw this kind of passing ability from Bam Adebayo. So it, you still don't want to bank on a first round pick by, hey, maybe it ends up like Bam. Well, there's a reason it's so crazy. It's because it's so infrequent Let that it happened to Bam. And then, you know, with James Wiseman, maybe he does possess the the touch to shoot from the, from a three-point land. And he does have the ability to protect the rim. And, and, but, but Miles Turner is the guy that comes to mind where it's not like he's the most laterally quick on defending switches but uh-huh. or, or defending perimeter players. But he does pr- protect the rim at a high level. He is a really good defensive player in the league. He can shoot threes. Yet it's not somebody that we're talking about at an all-star level. And so it, he's not
0: again, my isn't even the b- best big on his own team. Right. He might not even be the second best big.
1: <laughs> uh, who's the second best big on that team.
0: Um, what's the other kid uh, that they just drafted over the like last year? I can't oh, you
1: name. you like Goga Bitaze already? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I like like
0: <laughs> I like him. I like. I think he may end up being better than Miles Turner.
1: <laughs> well, like, you know that Miles Turner is a little bit interesting, but yeah, like how many true rim protectors do you have that can shoot the three? You know, that's a little bit different. Um, you know, m- maybe that that would go, maybe uh, make you lean more towards Wiseman because he can has that ability, maybe to shoot from the outside. But I like the defensive versatility with a Kung Wu. We've talked about this a lot, but yeah, if if I had to choose, I do think I like the defensive versatility guarding the perimeter. Um, more so than the kind of ceiling that maybe Wiseman could bring you, and whether he actually hits that ceiling or not, if that makes sense.
0: Here is the thing, though, and th- all this does when we start talking about these tra- these draft possibilities on these when we start talking about drafting bigs, and again, getting that's those specialists, and maybe just again, you draft a specialist late, maybe you draft him at twenty six, maybe you draft him at at thirty two or what wherever or even 50 or 58 possibly, or maybe you just go get one of those guys for cheap in a free agency, like a Bismack Biombo. That's only going to cost you $4 million. The idea is the, I guess the, my approach to this is we need to stop thinking that we need to draft a big to fill in a role right now. Bigs hmm. come cheap. They're running. They're like running backs. You get the ones that fit you the best and you go from there. But for right now, the idea that we need to put square peg and round hole with drafting a big three, like I just continue to not see it because we're seeing example like glaring examples over and over and over, especially in these playoffs saying, hey, guys, bigs are again, they're versatile. They're necessary, but they're not again. They're not just drafted and developed one way in one way only.
1: Well, and, and just, I kind of want to go back to your first point, which I agree with. It does go to show you, we just don't know how to draft big guys. Like, we, we don't know how to draft, period. You know, there are plenty of misses all the time. Yes. It goes true for, it, it's true for every sport. You know, we often see the number one overall pick in baseball never make it. It's crazy hard in baseball. The NFL, we have zero clue how to evaluate quarterbacks. You know, with these big, the NBA, it's, it's all tough. Um, but with these big guys, like you see Sabonis, you see Carl Anthony Towns, you see Embiid, you see Porzingis, you know, they all possess a crazy big versatility offensively. And then Bam Adebayo, you know, Rudy Gobert might be somewhat of an exception to that rule, but he's just so elite at rim protecting. He really does help you. And then when you get to the postseason, season, it's a little dicey on whether you actually want him out there, even though I did think he had a really good series against um, the Dender Nuggets in the first round. And, and so these guys that didn't work out that were big guys that were drafted early, Thomas Robinson, Jalil Okafor, Draken Bender, some of those guys are mentioned, you know, Bender could shoot the three and was a little bit more versatile, but never just worked out for him. So, okay, maybe that's somewhat of an outlier, but Thomas Robinson was small and that wasn't somebody that you were looking at shooting the three. I don't know if he was the greatest passer in the world. Jalil Okafor had an amazing post-up game, but we all knew what it was with Jaleel, and that defensively, he was a problem in college. Like, he wasn't good. And, you know, it's not somebody that's shooting a ton of threes. Even a guy like Alex Lynn. But where's the defensive versatility there? And it's not Alex someone...
0: Lynn has been... Alex Lynn slow, sneakily has had a solid career. little oh, stretch. But, but, not a, but
1: not with that pick. I mean, we, we know. Yeah. Like, he was drafted too high for sure. And so, I'm with you on that. Like, we've, we've kind of seen some of the roles that need to be... Um, or, you know, the way that we evaluate bigs. I, maybe. Maybe we'll see... These guys, these teams uh, get a little bit of a better handle on how to do it. So, anyways, want to talk a little bit about something that you should have a good handle on right now. It's how good Built Bar is. It's for the health conscious guy that might want to indulge in a delicious treat. They, um, if you do eat Built Bar, you can lose or maintain weight while um, continuing to eat something that tastes kind of like a sweet for maybe a dessert after a workout or a run you might go on. The bars are low calorie, they're low sugar, they're high protein, high fiber, and they're great for your keto diet. You can get great. Great flavors like Nada's favorite, cherry, Barcia, cookies, and cream. So many other flavors you can try, and you get a free cooler with your purchase while supplies last. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on. That's all one word, and you'll get $10 off your next order. Use promo code locked on. That's no spaces. Locked on for $10 off at builtbar.com. Let's talk a little bit more about the playoffs and who the hell knows coming up next on the Locked on Hornets
0: podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. Final play, though, was pretty. Pretty doo doo. You missed the shot. You missed the shot. But that was, and that good. It was reminiscent of Hornets inbounds years past.
1: I was gonna say yeah, it was doo doo as you said, and it reminded of what was the other shot that you didn't like, Doug? It's a technical Uh, term,
0: technical basketball term. I'm a smart basketball guy. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast.
1: So speaking of the playoff, maybe not having the big guy discussion again, but crazy to see Anthony Davis, somebody that does have that ability, shoot that three-pointer um, where we were all discussing whether it was Mason Plumley, where we were all destroying Mason Plumley and his blown defensive assignment. But then I think Rob Perez put this out there um, where it kind of looked like maybe Jeremy Grant was saying, if there's a dive by LeBron... Mason, you come here and cover LeBron and I'll go out there and I'll cover um, Anthony Davis or anybody that rubs off of the LeBron screen. And eventually that didn't happen. And so it might look like it, it does not look like maybe it was Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumley having a miscommunication where it could be on Grant with that kind of uh, conversation. Either way, it was an amazing shot from Anthony Davis, who has been very good in this postseason, and the shot percentages on his jump shots, and his three-point shooting, they're significantly up from what we've seen from him in regular season and career time.
0: I mean, honestly, people are calling... The, the, only, the only issue I have is people are calling this the coming-out party for Anthony Davis. Like, he didn't send Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum home with... Literally, Rondo and Drew Holiday. Like, there again, this is stuff that we expected from Anthony Davis. Now he's just got the supporting cast and he's got another star around him to just take it to another level. To me, and this is and and, like to take it back this weekend because again, I know everybody heard about LeBron crying about the M not getting the MVP. But the issue I had, like the biggest issue I might have had with all of this, quite honestly, was that Anthony Davis was better in every single metric than LeBron this year. And the fact that he came out and he did his thing, and he's done his thing for the most part for most of these playoffs, minus a PJ, P.J. Tucker eliminating him in game one of the Houston series. But he's done his thing for the most part. And watching Anthony Davis do this, despite the fact that he should have been in a Hornets uniform, And I'm not going to let that one go. And I'm trying to let that go, but watching him do his thing has been quite awesome. And I just don't think that the other thing is like, I don't know if, if there are people saying that the Nuggets series is over, Lakers Nuggets is over and, I want to ask them what Denver team have they been watching? They're best with their backs against the wall. So I can't wait to see what game three comes up with.
1: I think it was funny, Mike Malone's comment about how they put in a request to the league if they could just start down 3-1 in every series they might play going forward because it is incredible to come back from two 3-1 deficits. I remember on the wake-up call playing a soundbite from Tim Legler after game two, Mm-hmm. that the Utah Jazz were just going to roll over the Denver Nuggets. Um, maybe it was because uh, they lost that game one. So I think it was after game three after, um, that Tim Legler gave us the soundbite. But he expected the Utah Jazz just to win in five, that it was just going to be after those first two wins that Utah got. They were going to continue to march on because Denver looked that bad. And now here we are in the Western Conference Finals where it takes Anthony Davis's best shot of his career, self-admittedly, then uh, to to knock them out in, in game two, and so I'm with you. I, I can't count Denver out because we've looked like a fool for doing it the first two series. To, to just go ahead and count Denver out of the series altogether—they're too good, man. Jamal Murray, yeah, Jamal Murray. It's I think been insane.
0: I think we're I think we're waiting for a Jamal Murray game, and I think, Jamal, I think we're due for at least one or two Jamal Murray explosions to where he get he shakes free of Caruso, who again, Alex Caruso. like sneaky, good development play. Like, so when we start talking about development and everything else like that, Alex Caruso is a great example of that. And been a really, again, South Bay Lakers, like the small market LA Lakers developing their role players. Funny thing that happens, huh?
1: (laughs) It is a funny thing that happens. Going to the other series real quickly, we're actually not going to get game three between the Celtics and Heat until Wednesday. So quite a big break. Um, That's unusual in the Orlando bubble. But Boston, they win this one. They salvage the series and they come out. And they're incredibly efficient offensively just from looking at all the starters and how they shot. How about Marcus Smart going 5 of 10, shooting 10 of 10 from the free throw line? Marcus Smart has been shooting very well Mm -hmm. in the postseason with all these games that we've seen. Jalen Brown goes 11 of 17. Kimba Walker goes 8 of sixteen, four of 8 from 3. And Jason Tatum goes 9 of 20 with 14 rebounds and 8 assists. It's a crazy good line that he puts up. And Gordon Hayward, he comes back, doesn't look great. Two of seven from the field, just six points. But everybody else, all the starters, um, were continuing to play well. And that's how you put up 117 points, beating the Miami Heat by double
0: digits. Like The craziest part to me is how Eric Spolster and the Miami Heat have gotten away in three games with playing a legitimate zone. And the zone taking out, legit again, a team that you would think has enough shooting to withstand and just destroy his zone, not to mention having one of the best ball handlers in the NBA. And you would think a zone would not stop them. And yet a zone has essentially flummoxed the Boston Celtics for the better part of three games right now. And the one thing like you pointed out with um, Gordon Hayward, which was really interesting is while he's not effective offensively, he gives them another initiator. So it allows Kemba to move off ball a little bit more. It allows Marcus Smart to work off ball. It allows guys like Tatum, Brown, all of them to work off ball. So the scoring numbers aren't going to be there for a Gordon Hayward. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's still some more fingerprints of things that he does well, like a, a positive, a very well done Nick Batum where he doesn't necessarily score, but he still impacts the box score in a big way.
1: Yeah, they relied really heavily on their six guys where Grant Williams, Enos Cantor, and Brandon Wanamaker um, didn't play more than the nine minutes in this game. Brad Stevens shortening up his rotation quite a bit, where as the Heat, they'll play Olytic 13 minutes. They play Derek Jones, 16. Eguidal only got seven in this one. Kendrick Nunn only got four. Um, But those are guys that they have relied on in the past. But I guess in this game, dwindled it down just a little bit. Bam bio, continues to be crazy. 27 points. I mean, he got 16 rebounds in this one. He continues to be crazy good. Excited for that Wednesday game four that we're going to get in the Eastern Conference Finals. Thanks again, as always, for joining us on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. And thanks again to Bilt Bar for supporting the show. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Lockdown NBA. Have a great day. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Thank you.